0: Hi, I'm Dr. Dan Gardner and I talk about Traumatic Brain Injury Recovery. Today I'm pleased to be speaking with Case Manager Barbara Greenfield. Traumatic Brain Injury Recovery. Welcome
1: Barbara. Hi, Dan. Barbara, tell me, what is a Case Manager? Well, there's lots of different kinds of Case Managers. I happen to be an independent nurse Case Manager. I'm a certified nurse case manager. They can be social workers, we can be nurses, we can be occupational therapists, but I happen to be an RN.
0: Can you tell me a little about your background?
1: Sure, I've been a nurse for a long time. I started off as an aide, an aide, an LVN, I got my associate's degree in nursing and then I became a registered nurse and I have a bachelor's degree in nursing.
0: So you've been in the trenches in healthcare?
1: A long time, yes, I have.
0: <laughs> I, I was see. a
1: critical care nurse and, and have, been, have done lots of things in nursing.
0: I see. Well, tell me, what does a case manager do in terms of helping a brain injury survivor recover?
1: So what we do is, as an independent case manager, what I help my clients do is navigate the healthcare care system and provide resources and coordination of care. One of my clients once said that it was kind of like having a sister that knew a lot about healthcare, care, mm-hmm. and so I help people over sometimes a very long period of time to, again, like I said, not navigate the healthcare care system and find appropriate specialists, because although some of my clients really want a specialist or a facility on their corner or within a really uh, short distance, that just doesn't happen.
0: Well, so you're a real advocate for the patient. Now tell me, what kind of resources do you help them find?
1: It depends on their needs. Many of my clients need caregivers, they may need aids uh, depending on what their skilled care needs or they may need field nurses lvns especially if they have seizure disorders or a gastrostomy tube or often my clients may have tracheostomies and that of course needs care by a skilled nurse
0: i see so you help them find health care assistance. what about health care treaters physicians programs where they could attend, residential facilities, is that something you also do?
1: All the above, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And do you work with families as well? Yes, absolutely. Much of the time my clients are, because of their brain injury, they have more difficulty communicating and understanding their limitations. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, in a, most of the time, it's really their family that I communicate with regarding the logistics
0: especially the more severely cognitively impaired patients exactly what kind of cases do you work with and how have you intervened to help them along their
1: recovery sure so I work along just a very wide scope of patients my mm-hmm. clients can be children
0: mm-hmm.
1: all the way to the elderly I and, see. and so for the children oftentimes i'm working with the parents to help find therapists either in the home or sometimes they need people in their home to come to their home not so easy to find
0: okay tell me some of the ways that you intervene in helping the survivors recover
1: okay so very intensive part of my job is to help transition from facility to home so i have had clients in facilities such as Care Meridian and they need to then transition home. Families want them home and I am all for that if that's possible. Mm-hmm. So I will coordinate every aspect of that and I will work with the facility to do so. So I work with the directors of nurses, the directors of nursing, and I will also sometimes work with the home health care provider. And Many of my clients that are in that situation have a payer source. I mean, they all have a payer source. It wouldn't be private pay. So, for instance, the payer source may be a special needs trust. So I then have to coordinate with the special needs trust administrator to help with the cost of treatment. Or I may need to work with the workers' comp period with an adjuster. So I have to coordinate with those folks as well to make sure that Everything is being covered from their in-home care from the nursing care that they may need To all the supplies that they may need to all the pieces of equipment they need So I may be working with an assistant technology professional and a durable medical equipment company All the way to the home health care provider so that the home health care provider will often get their care or at least part of the care through Medi-Cal or Medicare. Mm-hmm. There's not much through Medicare, but definitely through MediCal if they have skilled care needs. So I have to work with all of those people to make sure that everybody is on board and doing what they're supposed to be doing and then also communicate with the family so that the family knows, okay, I'm doing this now, I'm doing this now, I need their assistance because families, even if they have a trust, must sign all contracts. So I'm coordinating those logistics as well as making sure that the patient is going to get all of the care that they need. It's pretty, pretty cumbersome. often takes months to plan this. I understand. What a spectrum
0: of services that you cover. I assume you have to be pretty darn organized to implement all these different activities and treatments.
1: In many of these cases, I'll keep several Excel spreadsheets and keep everybody that I'm working with in that spreadsheet so I make sure that I'm keeping in contact with them. And I must say, I mean, one of the challenges is is to keep families calm and free of worry, which is really impossible. You can't be free of anxiety. But it is making sure that the families know that all of this stuff is being dealt with in an organized fashion. And it's also really important to Allow them their time to voice their concerns and also make sure that all of their goals are being met. Most of my clients need to meet with the home health care provider. I've had many clients where I actually sit down with the client and the home health care provider because these are the people that are going to pretty much be a part of their family. Right. So they come in their house, and they're going to be taking care of their loved one, and they need to make sure that they're comfortable with the people that they will eventually be dealing with on a one-to-one basis. Because my role is to get all of this done, but not necessarily to stay forever. I can always be a resource, but my job is to make all the connections, make sure that everything is getting done, and make sure that the, the transition home is safe, and then to slowly bow out.
0: Then who sticks around to make sure that the plan that you implement is maintained in an optimal way for the patient's well-being?
1: Primarily it's family. Primarily when families decide that they want their loved one to come home, they take on that responsibility and I help them keep things organized, I help them create notebooks with all the equipment that they need. But then also, if it is through a trust, a special needs trust, I will be asked by the trust to come in either biannually or annually. So it's still part of my job to make sure that everything is going along okay and that there are no glitches. But there are times when I'm asked to bow out. And I understand that because I'm not a free service. And so there are always financial concerns. But oftentimes I will be asked to follow up on an annual basis if I can.
0: Now, you talked about a big issue being interacting with a family because of their concerns. In my words, their anxieties or their fears or their stress about the situation. Can you tell me what some of the particular worries of the families are
1: Some of the biggest challenges are the physical demands that my clients require. So many of them have tracheostomies or gastrostomy tubes for feedings. And those, they're really worried about having to uh, perform those duties. Mm -hmm. Facilities are required to make sure that they discharge their patients home safely. So they must provide uh, appropriate education. And I've done that for children as well as adults to make sure that the facility is providing the appropriate transition of care. So some, I mean, there's actually certification uh, rules for facilities that are discharging children and the parents or the caregiver actually have to stay with the child and perform all the care for at least 24 hours, if not 48 hours. And again, it just depends on the facility. So they have their own policies and procedures because of their their requirements for certification that they have to maintain. So I actually make sure that that's all being done and that the family is participating and that if there's any issues that I help to educate about the need for that. That's their biggest concern. But then I have patients, and I know you understand this, with significant behavioral issues. Mm-hmm. And so what we really wanna make sure is that the family is managing all the doctor's appointments. Now, I will start that process. I will make sure that everybody's communicating, but I'm not there on a daily basis. So Mm -hmm. it's really important that the family establish a relationship with the physicians, which I'm sure you understand. Also to work with, let's say they're working with a behavioral therapist, that they make sure that they're scheduling those appointments and that they are fulfilling their obligation to manage their family member. Because what I think is really important is that they realize that this is a safety issue. How important that is because if safety isn't their primary concern, then there's all kinds of ramifications Mm
0: -hmm. for that.
1: And I am a mandatory reporter, so it's really important that I make sure that my clients are following uh, what they need to do in order to make sure that their family member is safe. Mm
0: -hmm. So Barbara, in addition to connecting families and and survivors with resources and helping educate them, it sounds like you're also a part-time therapist as well, dealing with their worries and stresses being put in this role.
1: I mean, I'm a registered nurse, but I think I provide a lot of social work-type care, I don't pretend to be a therapist, I don't pretend to be a social worker, mm-hmm. but I do engage with, if I need help, <laughs> actually my husband happens to be an MFT, so oh, if I okay. need, and he's part of my company, he does case management as well, so if I need some assistance, just like therapists, sometimes will have to go to therapists so that they make sure that they are dealing with their patients properly and that they're not missing something. I sometimes have to reach out to other people, what am I missing? How can I do this better? I don't pretend to be perfect. I think
0: that's a sign of a, of a reasonable professional, one who knows that he or she at times would benefit from consulting with colleagues. That's what we all do.
1: Hopefully, we all do that. Yeah.
0: Hopefully, we do
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: yeah. Barbara, give me some case examples of, of brain injury survivors with whom you've dealt.
1: So, uh, most recently, I've been working with a family with a adolescent. And as we all know, if you've been a parent of an adolescent without a brain injury, adolescents can be incredibly challenging human beings to deal with. <laughs> and then if you have an adolescent that has memory deficits and has, even though they may be they may be able to acknowledge their memory deficits. This client had difficulty, although she understood her memory deficits, she still was quite a challenging individual to deal with. Mm -hmm. So not only did I help refer her to an educational advocate who was a specialty in brain injury, she also was referred to an educational therapist Mm -hmm. and family was also referred to a therapist because Parenting a child like that or an adolescent is quite a challenge. So I worked with the family to find an appropriate therapist for them. And I attended the independent education program meetings along with the advocate because there were medical issues, there were visual deficits that this young person had. And she had been injured since she was three. So I've known her for quite a long time, although... I think I started on her case when she was somewhere around nine. So she was, she's one of the cases. She was actually an acquired brain injury. She wasn't a traumatic brain injury. There was no blow to the head. She was injured during a medical procedure and mm-hmm. had hypoxic brain injury. Mm, see. Uh, so lack of oxygen to the brain due to a procedure which caused a very devastating infection. Mm -hmm. And that was her injury. A lot of my clients have acquired brain injuries as opposed to traumatic brain injury. But I also have a young man that I've been working with. He is in his mid-20s and was working, was in a car accident, so he suffered. The picture of his car is, is quite astounding. And you wonder how he actually managed to even get out of the car. Luckily, he wasn't a very large person because mm-hmm. the car was badly, badly damaged. He's doing fairly well. He's managing to work, but he has a lot of anxiety and he also has some significant personality changes. Mm-hmm. So, and he also has memory deficits. So, mm-hmm. he's been good about using some of his behavioral therapy to. Remember to turn off the stove and to shut the door, but he'll come into the house and he'll forget to close his door (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like the door to the house and unfortunately Mm -hmm. we don't live in the country where that's acceptable behavior Those are issues that he has and he still has a lot of anxiety driving, which is understandable So he's continuing to work with his therapist and also he's been referred to a cognitive rehabilitation specialist to help him utilize the assistive technology on a regular basis, because he mm-hmm. tends to forget to use it.
0: Sure. Now, what yeah. was your role in obtaining resources for this particular survivor?
1: These were people that I know just from the work that I do. So I referred him to some cognitive, a couple of cognitive rehab therapists that I knew. Mm-hmm. I helped to make that coordination and to make those like, meet. I've been in touch with his therapist as well and his physical medicine and rehabilitation physician as well. I
0: see. So you helped him find those treaters?
1: Correct. I mentioned earlier that I also work with children with acquired brain injuries. So a lot of my children that I work with have cerebral palsy and they have significant cognitive deficits. It's sometimes really hard to know how cognizant they are because they're nonverbal one child, mom definitely thinks he's much more aware than some of his treaters seem to think he is. We help to coordinate finding an occupational therapist for him. So the therapist comes to the home, provides, is working with him. He's over three years old. So one of the things that I do with special needs trusts is to help them obtain public providers. So for instance, get care Through the public domain. So, for instance, California Children's Services Mm -hmm. or Regional Center. Those are the two primary ones. So, children, when they are, before they turn three, they are provided a lot of care through Regional Center. But it takes the physician that the child is seeing to make those connections and sometimes parents don't know about those resources. So I will come on board and make sure that the family is receiving all the public services that they should be receiving. Mm. And then if care is denied for one from reason or another, then their special needs trust can provide payment for care. I see. So once a kid is three, Regional Center is less in the picture and then it becomes the school district to provide the care and then in California Children's Services. So we'll go to the medical treatment unit with the family and help the family connect with those providers. What we do a lot is to mentor for families. So for instance, I may not be able to come to the next appointment at the medical treatment unit, but I want them to know how to communicate with those providers because a lot of those providers are stretched beyond what's reasonable. So they see so many children. It's really about making sure that you are communicating in a way that helps them understand what your challenges are and what you're seeing in the home and what can they provide for
0: you. So you help the families find a healthcare provider and you also coach them, or in your words, mentor them and mm-hmm. how to interact with a healthcare provider. What tips can you share with us?
1: I think what's really important is that, especially when you're in a facility that has a lot of different physicians, So you go to a provider that is a teaching hospital. You see the resident, then you see the fellow, then you see, maybe, maybe you see the attending. So you're seeing three doctors plus maybe a case manager. Write your questions down. Let them know you're prepared. Be prepared for that appointment. And make sure that they know you have a list, you look prepared, and that you read off your list because that helps them to answer all of their questions. And don't let them get out the door until they've finished. Sometimes that's really hot, hard. You know, you can't block the door. You don't want to be, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to ask
0: you what your technique is <laughs> yeah.
1: for, well, you for know not what? allowing them to leave. Yeah, you know what's really interesting with me is that what I find is that physicians, if there's a case manager in the room, Act differently. And all of my clients right. say that. But he's never spent so much time with me. Exactly. She's and never spent so much time with me. It's, and it, it's isn't it the gender same non-specific.
0: The, yeah, it isn't the same if a family member accompanies the patient as well to the oh, appointment. Absolutely.
1: Yes, absolutely. Oh, definitely. So, yeah, because there's another set of eyes. And I happen to be a trained set of eyes, and I, for the most part, know what kinds of questions to ask. But if I'm with my client, I go over their list. I ask them to bring a list. And if they haven't, while we're waiting, say, let's talk about what it is that you want to ask about. Because, I mean, I'll tell you, I'll forget as well. So let's make sure that we get everything that you need accomplished. And then the other thing that I do, again, if we're in a teaching hospital, I also ask them to connect with the case manager. Because most of the specialists at teaching hospitals. If you're talking about the physical medicine and rehab department, or, I mean, I've had kids with renal disease or cardiac disease, they have case managers. So connect with that case manager and get to know their names, because it's really important that you address people by their name and their telephone number. What's the best way to get in touch with you?
0: What you're saying is it's really important for the families to have a list of questions so they can organize their thoughts and make sure they cover what's important on their agenda during the office visit.
1: I think it also might be important for them to make sure that they prioritize their lists
0: mm-hmm. because
1: sometimes there are so many issues to address. Right. That you can't address everything at one visit, but you really need to address you know, your priorities. And sometimes the priority is to make sure that the doctor writes prescriptions. Right. Um, right. I mean, that's really important. Or that if the doctor needs to do something like make the connection for regional center, those are really important things to address. Like some of my patients
0: have said, the doctor comes in on roller skates.
1: And, yes, oh, and, absolutely. In and
0: out. And I understand that the doctors have a greater demand for productivity now, so that's even more important for the families to prioritize their list of questions. One, cool. one option is to make a copy of the list so the family can read their own list and the doctor can see a copy of that. And and the doctor may have to say, there are a lot of points here. Which are your most important points? Let's cover those today and then we'll have to meet again to continue our discussion.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. I have a a family that um, mom is the primary caregiver. And she always comes in with a list of medications. And when she doesn't, I'm like, I'm disappointed. It's like, oh, you mean I have to do this? Because yeah. <laughs> she's so organized. I think that having that kind of information and making, I know that your physician, you really want your physician to be there for you but we have to realize that doctors have different roles these days and they really need to be helped. I realize that that is sometimes a hard thing to accept, but we have to be really good consumers.
0: Need to advocate for our patients and ourselves actually. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Now,
0: Barbara, I understand that you're a life care planner as well. Can you tell me what a life care
1: planner is? Certainly. So, a life care planner helps an individual, usually with a catastrophic or multiple injuries, or a catastrophic injury or multiple injuries, to assess long term medical care needs. Mm-hmm. So, I have done life care plans for people that have special needs trusts and for workers' compensation, patients that have workers' compensation. So, it allows the person that is allotting the funds to make sure that the funds are for their life expectancy. So that's really important. We all have a finite number of years we're going to be on this earth. And patients with traumatic brain injury and other really challenging injuries and ones that can be a challenge as we age. So the aging process, as you know, really affects our patients with brain injury. That money needs to last for their life and it's their fiduciary responsibility to make sure that's the case. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of oversight for those folks that take on handling people's funds. Mm -hmm. So they may need a life care plan if for any reason there wasn't a life care plan. So I've worked with clients that have had what's called a third-party trust. So in other words, somebody in their family provided them with money. It could be Mm -hmm. through an inheritance or some other way. And so then that money goes into a trust and the trust needs to figure out how should those funds be spent. And sometimes they'll hire a life care planner to make recommendations. Tell me,
0: in the work that you do, what are the biggest satisfactions and what are the biggest challenges?
1: Well, I think the biggest satisfaction is seeing a benefit, to see my clients actually get a job, make sure that they're doing well in school, and sometimes at the very basic, be free of an infection for a really long time, Mm -hmm. so that their family is doing well, they feel comfortable taking care of their family member, and that they haven't needed any outside hospital resources. You know, when I have... A client move from a facility to home and that everything is done and they've got all their equipment and nothing horrible has happened I am like so relieved I'm really happy about that and then the biggest challenges I think are people are hard
0: <laughs> you know that saying management would be easy if it weren't for the people
1: <laughs> exactly exactly and you know we all come with our baggage including myself And I always tell my clients that communication is hard at best, but again, I think communicating is the hardest challenge, and sometimes my patients' families are so busy, they may be juggling work, they may be juggling other family members, they may have other children that they need to take care of, and so... I want to be as available as I can, I mean I will text my clients, I will email my clients, I will call them on the telephone, I will send carrier pigeon, no not really, but you know I will do whatever it takes to communicate yeah, and to be available and um, finding that sweet spot for communication. Just wanted to get back to life care planning real quick because I mentioned life care planning in a non-litigation arena because there is a very big part of lit, uh, life care planning that is in the litigation arena, but I wanted to step back from that. So my elevator speeches, I provide attorneys with an estimate for long-term medical damages.
0: Well, Barbara, I want to thank you very much for spending the time and effort to talk to me today.
1: Well, It was really fun. Thank you so much for asking me.
0: Please like, subscribe, and comment Please like, subscribe, and comment on this video.